Welcome to the Voice of Leadership on Blog Talk Radio. It's time to turn up the volume. Do you feel lost without a sound? Are you waiting to be found? Have you lost sight in all the darkness? Open your eyes, see the light Don't give in to all that's around you This is the time to listen inside you The voice that whispers deep in your soul It'll tell you the truth, what you already know Welcome to the Voice of Leadership Radio Network I'm Linda Lombardo so many crises on the planet competing for our attention. The one to which we give our focus today, and perhaps the one that should be first and foremost in our advocacy, is the crisis that is occurring for the planet itself. Earth, Mother Earth, who supports all living beings, air, food, soil, and water. As long as she thrives, so do we. Thriving and ultimately our very survival both depend on the purity of the land, the water, the flora and fauna, and the delicate balance in which we share this earth with other living beings. Our modern mind somehow created a separation between humankind, other sentient beings, and earth. We've taken very little heed to her warnings, even as a result of humanity's progress threaten her. My guest today is on a mission. Several missions, actually. One is to bring unity to the planet by facilitating the development of alliances between the guardians of indigenous culture and traditional medicine ways. Another is to protect and sustain the spiritual practices of First Nation peoples around the world as they join their hearts in prayer for world peace. And lastly, a mission called The Fountain, dedicated to the restoration of a global economy of reciprocity inspired by nature and the sacred. Jyoti is one of the founders of Kayumari, a spiritual healing community with locations around the world. She is the spiritual director of the Center for Sacred Studies, and she was one of the original conveners of the International Council of 13 Indigenous Grandmothers. Welcome back to the Voice of Leadership studio, Jyoti. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me again. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so delighted to have you back on the program. It's been about two years. I know. When uh, life seems to be moving uh, so much faster than it used to be. <laughs> but my grandma it used does. to say, as you get older, it moves faster anyway. And I think in today's times, with our modern technologies of the Internet and all, it's speeded up even that much more. So thank you for dropping back in here and us continuing this relationship, because I'm quite inspired by what you're doing. Thank you, and I'm inspired by what you're doing. What is the Earth trying to tell us right now? Well, when I saw you sent this to me, so I could sit and meditate with it a little bit, and I I think what the earth is trying to tell us is wake up, pay attention, listen to each other, and return to relationship. When we start with the seed of it all, which is relations, and everything unfolds from there. I'm a seed carrier. I carry the mother's seeds, and when she puts a seed in my hand and then asks me to, to walk a certain way on the road and plant that seed and water it and let it grow and start to produce itself, and then she gives me another seed. And this is how my life has been directed, especially my, well, all my life, actually, from the time I was a young girl. But it became more present in my life as I grew older. That's what I did. That's what my journey in life was all about, was carrying these seeds of possibility that help us move through our evolutionary process 
of becoming more aware of ourselves as spiritual beings having a bodily experience. And I think the earth is trying to bring us back to a memory of who we are. And when we come back to the natural order on this earth, we come back to the natural order inside ourselves. And we come back to understanding that all things are interconnected. That it's a huge web of life that we're all a part of. And when one thing moves over on one part of this globe, it does affect the other part of the web. And so so we must think this way, especially now. When we come back to the natural order of the sacredness of all life, we start to dialogue with creation and learn from creation because creation is the most amazing intelligence. It's a miracle in its every motion and its every expression and its every demonstration of what life truly is, this constant motion of activity that's moving in on itself and through itself and perpetuating itself and dying and rebirth and everything's moving it's always in motion on this planet if you watch the ocean the sea does the very same thing it moves in and it moves out it has a rhythm to it everything has a rhythm to it when i'm a little girl a little baby i have a rhythm to myself i keep my parents up all night long you know as i get older (laughs) i run around and it experience life like a moving bullet through life you know i'm always seeking um, through my curiosity the next exploration and when you get to be a grandmother like me your rhythm starts to slow down and and you start to interact with creation in a different way so it's all about the mystery you know and i think right now the earth wants us to come back to right relation with her so we can reactivate our mystery, so that our life is not just a two-dimensional experience. It has so many levels and so many dimensions, and we are only living in such a small quandary of that. She wants us to blossom. She wants us to open ourselves, and when we do that and return to that relations, then we start to live our life with a totally different quality, a different rhythm, and different awareness. We live with more kindness with more respect for one another and more regard for all things that touch us and are touched by us. We're living in such an amazing time, this time of the great turning where so many are beginning to awaken. So many have been awake and yet even more are beginning to awaken to the idea of oneness and the the rhythm of earth as the sustainer of our life I find myself questioning and asking, how did we go from an ancient mind that revered Mother Earth and its connection to all living things to this separateness and and maybe even I'll call it a privilege of certain cultures that now really threatens both Earth and all living creatures in so many ways. I have a hard time believing in random acts, Jyoti. And so I find myself rolling this question around in my mind and my heart over and over again. Is there a greater big story or is there a a spiritual philosophy about what we could call the transformation from a oneness to a separateness, even before we begin to talk about going from this separateness to a oneness? Well, you know, what I come back to is I'm a storyteller 
and I've been really blessed along my trail over these many years. I'm 67 now, and I've been very blessed to sit at the feet of some of the most amazing storytellers on this planet. When you ask that question, the story that pops up is about the Hopis and the way that they speak about the times that we're in. In their petroglyphs, they show that there will come a time when the earth herself and all its peoples will be at a great crossroads. And if we go down this one road where our head is disconnected from our bodies, then we will find ourselves on a path of self-destruction. And if we choose the other path where our heads are reconnected to our bodies, to our hearts, then we are opening the door to 500 years of a golden age. And we are birthing in the fifth world on that path. And we're coming from the fourth world of separation, where the creator, as evolution moved us, moved us into understanding ourselves as separate beings on the planet, gave us different languages and different cultures and different ways of life, different ways of prayer. It showed us our many differences in how diverse we are as creation is. It's so diverse, creation, when she expresses herself fully. And so we've learned this lesson of separateness. And now it's coming to the end. It's coming to the completion. In India, they have a a clock. They call it the great clock of evolution, where you can see time moving. And we're right at the end of the Kali Yuga period, which would be, they said, in India, as they do in many cultures, that this is the darkest, darkest period that we'll be on in this planet. And when we get past this Kali Yuga, we turn into the next 5,000 years of golden era where we're rebirthing ourselves into the fifth world, just exactly like you described it, where we return to our original origin of understanding our oneness. Because we came out of our oneness, now we're returning to that oneness. The difference will be is that when we return, we'll know that we're there. So we've brought consciousness into it in a whole other level of play and evolution on the planet. That's what I see unfolding here. Everywhere I go, I see that guidance of the Hopi elders of the spiritual authorities of the earth, the way that they speak about and the spiritual authorities live in the earth. They are of the earth. And they translate and speak to those that can hear that voice. And those are the ones that then bring those teachings out into their nations, to their peoples, and to the world for us to benefit and grow from and heal from. At least that's my experience when I'm given one of these precious moments to hear such guidance. Does that make sense? Yes, and I'd forgotten, first of all, what a magnificent storyteller you are and how emotional I get when I hear you tell stories. (laughs) And what inspires me and gives me hope in that is when a guest presents information or perspective, one of the most important things for me and one of the intentions that I always carry with me is that we we don't want to add to separateness by making others wrong. And I know that that's very popular in the media these days. And this story gives me such inspiration and hope because I do hear an intentionality there that separation was given to us for a reason. And as human beings, there are certainly things that happen in this life and in this world that are beyond words and that 
are unacceptable to us. And yet I, I think what I'm hearing, and may, maybe this is how I'm interpreting it on a on the grander scheme, more on the spiritual level than the human level, the things that impact us and activate us as humans have a bigger design. It's less about who can we make wrong. It's more about the evolution of humanity as a whole. Well, and I think that brings us back to another learning, because this is a feminine planet, Everyone agrees about that, I think. Even our astronauts started talking about her as they looked upon her. She's a feminine planet with the the waters that move all around in her. She's liquid and she flows. And so when she, in our first original days, what came out of her and what constructed itself upon her through our two-legged ones came from a matriarchal system of understanding. And that system is based on reciprocity. It's based on collaboration. It's not based on competition or right and wrong and judgment. It's more inclusive in its nature because it births life. Our masculine side of our nature is that which gives form to the flow of things and which protects and defends life. And these two forces are necessary for us to have balanced, healthy life. So it's not about looking at this, what I want to speak about for just a moment, through the lens of gender. It's more about understanding energy as an energy field. And when you look at all life as an energy field, then you don't need to judge it. You don't need to find that that's a bad energy or a good energy. You just find what energy is and you see how some energies come together and complement themselves and are harmonious and move forward, and some cause friction, like when you put sand in an oyster, you'll, it will cause friction to bring a pearl. You know, is the friction a bad thing, or is it just part of the process and the catalyst to create in nature this beautiful jewel called, that we call a pearl? So if we look at it that way, then you start to see the story uh, that is present upon this planet with very different lens. And so I believe as we're moving from this fourth world of separation where we learned how to think, we learned how to find uh, an intellectual basis inside the mind, we learned how to create categories of understanding so we could speak to one another through our languages and through our mannerisms and through our customs. That was all a masculine energy that gave form to that or some level of form to that. But now as we return to the natural order of things, we will come back to a feminine-based energy again, which is during a time of birthing again, and where our masculine and feminine will change the way they dance with one another during this time because that which births is, needs to be held and protected while that process unfolds and presents to all of us on this planet what her next part of her story is going to be about. And that's where the mystery gets to get all lit up and play with us once again. So how do we proceed with this with all the differences amongst us? Well, we have to step out of being personal. We can't be personal right now. We have to 
we have to grow into our maturity. We have to allow our maturity to arrive so we can hold the bigger picture together, not in competition about who's right and who's wrong and which way to pray and which way not to pray and all these wars that are about God. My experience of God is not war. God is in everything, so God's in war too, and you'll find miraculous things that happen during such challenging moments of our humanness and our humanity. But I believe that we can also walk on a planet of peace, and we can understand that these frictions are just that, and we can learn how to hold our differences so that we complement each other through our very divergent kinds of ways of approaching life and speaking about life. That's a feminine approach to to that that same process, you see. The way then for all of us at this moment in time is to understand that if we can go and sit with the un, and make relation with the unknowingness of life, then we won't have to try to design a way to control it or manipulate it. We can have a relation and follow it. We can allow life. That's what our First Nation people have taught me, that that's the difference in their rhythm. That's the difference in the way that they approach life because they allow life. They follow its directions. They understand that the intelligence of nature talks and they listen so that they can take that direction and put it into their everyday life. And that's how they proceed. And if we can do that, if we can all come and sit in the unknowingness and start to listen, we'll get the we'll get the inspirations, we'll get the guidance through a dream or maybe a direction from a child in our life that just is one of those aha moments that wakes us up. But we all have an important and significant role here. Every single one here, or we wouldn't have our skin on. You brought it up when you were introducing me that one of the the passions in my life right now, and that's what I follow. I, you know, if you follow your bliss, your bliss will follow, and I I think that's a right on. Uh, <laughs> and so I try to I try to live that principle in my life. And I got another seed, which was called. I originally gave it the name of the fountain, and. I went to a very dear friend of mine who is a woman of means and of heart, and I began to share with her that I really felt that we were at a place that we were coming to, that we really had to look at the economic models that were keeping us trapped inside a Western model that was damaging everything, every place it went, because I was watching that. I had gone into the Amazon where I've been going for 30 years, and I have a home. I've had a home there for 30 years. I've brought many people to the Amazon, but I've I've watched as um, our Western technologies and some of the shadow of our Western ways went into the Amazon and then took over uh, cultures and stepped on things without meaning to many times and without knowing at other times. It's not about judging that. It's just what happened. But as it did that, then we lost languages and we lost cultures and we lost the people that were the caregivers of that part of the planet. And when we lost their sacred technology, their way, their ceremonies, their ways of prayer, their ways of life that had been given to them by the earth herself, then we lost uh, a balance with the earth and we lost, we broke a relation with the earth and we got lost as populace on this planet. 
And so I believe that right now we're being called to come back in. And so I went into meditation following my dear friend's recommendation, and I received a template that I call the fountain. It had eight seats that sat at the fountain, and half of these seats were filled by indigenous elders are those that have walked in that way um, most of their lives. And the other half were people that were had been in business and finance so that they could sit down at the same table of unknowing and start to allow the earth herself to direct the initiatives that would bring them back to that original principle of reciprocity so that if you could imagine this image of a well sitting in the middle of a village and in the old days that well, we had to all work to make sure that well stayed healthy. It was a collaborative effort. And there were some that cared for the people, and then the people cared for them, and there was this field of reciprocity that naturally flowed out of that relation, those relationships. And that was based on this feminine principle, like I've been talking about. And so it's about returning to that place so that you know, like, and giving another alternative for not-for-profits, for instance, in our economic models, those organizations that take care of the people, health organizations, education organizations, children organizations, those organizations that serve the people. When something crisis hits our economy, the first place we should fuel, I believe, is those organizations that take care of our people. Because if our people stay healthy and well-grounded and balanced, we can deal with any crisis. We're very creative beings. But what happens now in our Western model is that we cut the resources to those organizations that are taking care of the people. And it's upside down. So an alternative to that may be for us to sit down and come back to some of the the natural order of when economy wasn't just about money, but it was how we fueled our lives on all our levels of our life. And it was broader, as you said at the beginning of your program, holding a bigger picture than getting caught in very personal needs, which are usually based on a fear rather than love. And fear constricts and divides, and love expands and heals. So what was really interesting was we got the fountain going, we got this image. I went down to South America to meet with the Four Nations because I had met Saga Carmen along my trail, and I told her what I was being prompted by spirit to look at, and she said, absolutely, start looking at this. This is very important. Now, the sagas and the mamas of Colombia, they are seen either right before birth are in utero are when they're caught and they're seen as beings that have a special aptitude to speak and have this language with the earth and know all about all of her, not just Columbia, but all of her. They see all of her. They respond to all of her. And so they are then taken down into a cave and they live in these caves for nine, up to nine years old. And at nine years old, they go through some kind of evaluation and see if they've reached the aptitude that they have within. And if not, they go back into the cave and live there till they're 18 years old before they come out. So these are amazing men and women that are helping to carry a culture and to guide their people through the intelligence and the direction of nature 
of Mother Earth herself. So I took this template that I'd received down there to ask them if I was listening correctly, if I was hearing this in the right way. And one of the representatives of the Kogi, was one of the four uh, four nations there, said, where did you get that? And I said, well, I got it in meditation. Why? And they said, well, because this is one of our oldest and most original symbols of what your fountain needs to sit on in order for it to create the grounds of reciprocity that you're holding as a passion in your heart. Yes, we want to sit down. Amazing. We want to sit down on this fountain with you. And so they've been walking. They're one of those uh, indigenous leaders that are part of this. We also have Loretta Afraida Bear Cook, who's Lakota Ogala, Sue, and underneath her are Earth Initiatives, which I'll tell you more about in a moment. And then we also have Chief Ophia Nawali, and he's from Nigeria. And so they're the ones that are really guiding us on this and to see how can we collaborate now with some of the, the Western business kinds of ways that have evolved in the world with these first ways of natural order. And at one point, Susan Davis, who sits under creative financing with her husband, Walter, they invited us to come to Ecuador, and we were having our meet, fountain meeting there. And just before the uh, Saga Carmen came to our meeting with her interpreter, Nelson, and an entourage of people from Colombia. Their spiritual authority of the earth, they've been taking care of a relic of that spiritual authority since the beginning of time. And it's always been under the earth. And for the first time ever, two weeks before they came to Ecuador to meet with us on the fountain, the spiritual relic, this representative of the spiritual authority of the earth said, it's time for me to be brought into the light of day. And so they brought this relic up into the light of day for the first time, they said, and they've they've been holding and caring for this relic since before the sun was in the heavens, is the way they speak about it. And the moment this relic came up into the, from the out of the earth and into the sun, into the daylight, the earth shook. And then this relic began to give them the message that they must come now and share with the world uh, ways to bring reciprocity about, ways to restore the unification of all peoples on the planet, and ways to activate our sacred sites and to tend to things in, in this way. And then then the earth shook again. And then they came and they brought these teachings. We were the first ones to receive these teachings. And they also brought an instruction that the fountain now needed to be called the fountain for natural order for our existence. I share all this because there's there's teachings that earth is giving us, giving, giving all of us through this story. But it's also a way of maybe demonstrating how when you catch these seeds of possibility yourself, even when you don't know where they're going to take you, and you probably won't, even when you don't have a plan with how to get there, and you never will, <laughs> um, but you follow something because your heart is being pulled towards something and you serve that which is calling you, then you are on a journey. And that journey is a weaving that will bring you to the most remarkable people that are also weaving and bringing forth the new story of our times. That is such a critically important learning. I think there's so many people who get these dreams, receive these seeds, and don't know what to do with them, don't know where to take them. 
And I think, like many seeds that get planted, that not all of them grow, and some of them either if they don't get watered or for whatever reason they don't become viable plants or seedlings once they've been planted, you have always had this gift of recognizing the seeds that come to you and being so clear in your purpose. At least that's my perception. I want our listeners to hear that, to hear you and to know that because it's it's them who has this seed or who gets this idea or this dream, it makes it no less significant and that everyone has the ability to interpret what comes to them. And if you know your purpose, then you are able to move forward with that or to say, this is not for me. I think that's really important because there's with so much, so much going on in the world, so many crises, as I said earlier, it's hard to know where to look. I, I think we're in crises overwhelm. Because everywhere we look, we see something that doesn't seem to be working or something that's crumbling. And again, it's how you perceive the world. Those who perceive it as a dark and unfriendly place are going to find darkness and are are not going to find friends. And those who see it as part of the creation-destruction, creation-destruction cycle as part of the web of life are going to go with that like the wave, are going to flow with that a little bit more. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's why it's so important to start with yourself. You know, doing your own homework is getting to know who you are, getting to embrace all the parts of your nature, the parts you love and that are fun for you and the parts that you're ashamed of or the parts that you don't like. Embrace all the parts of yourself. And actually, I have a breath work that was given to me through spirit. It's called Mayatri Breathwork, and and that breathwork is all about, it means, it's a Buddhist terminology, which means to embrace all of oneself in a friendly way. If we start there, first with ourselves, and Kubler-Ross said that if somebody triggers me and it goes on for longer than, I think she said, five seconds, then I have unfinished unfinished homework there. And I found that to be... Five seconds. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm doing some work. If somebody triggers me and I, and I can't let it just wash on through, I still have a hook. I still have something there that needs my attention. And it's not their responsibility to watch out for my hooks. It's my responsibility to see the hook and be humble enough to want to, want to understand why it got put there so I can forgive myself, so I can forgive those that put the hook there. That's really where a lot of our work right now, we have to focus on this, you know, because once you get a seed or you get a dream or you get inspiration that's going to drive you, be like an engine driving you, if it's strong prayer, if it's a strong seed of possibility, then it's going to shake up everything in your life that you thought you needed and had to have. It's going to push you out of the box you're living in and out into this unknown place so that you will have relations with the unknown, so that you will serve the unknown from a grounded space of humility and compassion. And there's a lot of people walking out there right now that are are speaking spiritual truths and are demonstrating spiritual ways of life, but if they're still in a place where they're still turning around and losing their compassion, then homework still has to happen for everybody. 
every single one of us. In fact, one of my teachers said, when I'm all done here and there's no more hooks, then that's when I go home because this is earth school, the place of the best learning of all. So there we can't you point our fingers yeah. at anybody. We can only, when you point a finger, you got three pointing back at yourself. So we got to be humble enough to start right here where we are. If we want the waters of our earth to clarify and they're in great danger right now, that's the bloodline of this planet. And because of things that are going on on this planet and because of our own unconsciousness, our our waters are getting dirty. We can't drink them anymore. When I was a girl, you could you could drink them out of the river. I had no idea mm. we'd ever care, walk around with bottled water. And this is a place where we want to put our attention and thoughts today around water. Do you want to? Yeah, I want to. I want to share with Go you because I think it goes. Yeah, if we we can jump right there. And some of this, there's a wonderful website called www.watersongline.com, and we have relations with this council of people that are doing amazing. They have different times and different types of meditations that they're doing and different stories that they bring out. And the one that they presented during Easter time was a story from Africa about the water mother, Oshun, uh, and she's saving the world. So I just wanted to share this story because I think it speaks a lot about what we've been talking about already. So in this story, the world's dying. Waters are virtually non-existent, and the world is on the verge of extinction because the male gods have forgotten to live by the sacred laws of the earth. During this period, every male expert in the world was consulted, even the male gods, on what to do for our earth. However, when they could not find the answer, the male gods went back to heaven and they said, God, what do we do? What's the answer? God said, where is the woman that I sent to the world with you? Well, the male gods were like, you mean Osun? Oh, she's down on earth still. God looked at the male gods for a while and said, It is in the woman. I gave all the wisdom of the world to the woman. It is her. You must ask for help. Well, the male gods, they just couldn't believe it. This was the woman they had been ignoring and treating as a servant all the time they lived on the earth. They went back to earth and they asked for Osun's help. Osun was pregnant, and she said, If I have a boy, I will save the world. Well, Osun gave birth to a boy, Usu Utura, and the world was saved. After the baby was born, the male gods prayed, and in the verses of their prayers, they reinforced the fact that nothing can be accomplished without the Holy Mother Osun's blessings. The birth of the male baby, Osun Utura is not a chauvinistic piece of the story. Instead, as he is the God who opens the way, challenges lies, and false perceptions, his birth talks about the birth of a new paradigm, which will save the world. We can see the story of the mother archetype giving birth to a baby boy whose birth marks the saving of the world in all major cultures. Why? because they are all connected stories which flow back to the story of Isis giving birth to Horus of ancient Egypt. And these stories represent the birth of a new paradigm, which in fact represents the royal pathway out of the world of suffering. That really exemplified everything we've been talking about here. And so it's like, 
I mean, one crisis with our waters that has got my attention, Walter, who's on the fountain, he has a website called FukushimaSolutions.org that I encourage you to go to because he has a passion inside and uh, is really driven in listening to the direction of the waters. And Fukushima is a crisis that took place in 2011, but and it's still going on. There are these reactors that have got fallen, and nobody knows where they went, except they know they're going deeper and deeper into the core of the earth. They know that it's putting out toxicity into our oceans, and we have reports that the Pacific marine life is suffering and dying, especially in the Pacific Rim and the West Coast. It's coming across the oceans. And then when people hear these kinds of things, they do what you said, Linda. They, what can I do? How can I help? Well, we can help when we understand the web of life is the interconnectedness we've been talking about today. And we can start by going outside in the morning. And you can do this with yourself and your family. And you can get a clear glass of water. And you can make a prayer of thanksgiving for the new day that's just arrived. And then when you're finished, you pour four pieces of water. Just pour it four times so the earth herself gets to drink first. And then take a drink and let your children drink, let your husband drink. And that's where you've already begun to share your love and you've begun to hold a different level of consciousness with the water on this planet. And that's how things get changed. I mean, the power... The power of that kind of action has been reported for a long, long time. <laughs> it's now clarifying what our original people have been telling us all along. You know, so yes, we are the full circle. We're coming full circle, and that's to celebrate. We are using water as we are using a lot of Earth's resources, and there is something called peak water, which is a tipping point to our uh, the growing constraints on the availability and the quality and the use of fresh water. And what we know for, for certain is that when we reach peak water, peak grain quickly follows. And peak grain simply means that we can no longer, because we don't have the same amount of water that we used to have, we can no longer produce the same amount of grain. And this has happened already in many Middle Eastern countries where they've reached that peak in terms of the availability of water and have already reached the peak in terms of how much grain they can produce. And so they're beginning to produce less and less each year. And then topping the consumption of the even of the grain producers are the meat producers, the factory farms, the slaughterhouses. 2,500 gallons of water are used to produce a pound of beef. 2,500 gallons of water, one pound of beef. There is an unconscious consumption in addition to things like Fukushima, which I believe April was actually the four-year anniversary. This This month that we're in now, it is exactly four years. And I have to ask, it feels as if we're ignoring it. And, And I want to ask why, and perhaps the question really should be, why are we allowing it, not why are we ignoring it? I think that's an extremely important question. And I think the question that was out of my heart that comes next is, what will it take to wake us? 
what will it take yes. to take us? And so some of the direction that we're getting from the earth right now, because she's working with us around this same thing. I mean, you know, we're the endangered people. <laughs> she will only, at a certain point, she can only carry us to a certain point, and then she'll have to shake really hard in order to heal herself and bring right balance back to her being. She, she will have no other choice. So she's holding on as long as she can to wake us to understanding that we can cooperate with her and understand the direction given through the intelligence of her being so that we can move forward. So what she's telling us right now and what that great relic of the four nations told us and the, the spiritual authority of this earth is speaking out through many of her leaders and, and teachers around the planet is that we need to come back to our sacred sites. She has sacred sites all over the world. And these sacred sites have been they've been taken from the original people. So it's important if we can take a movement to unify ourselves, all nations, to stand up for the earth, so that we are making a unified movement. And in that movement that we begin to, to speak the truth, uh, a truth that is about returning these sacred sites to the caring hands of our First Nations people globally because they have ceremonies that were given by the earth to activate those sites. And when those sites are activated around the planet, the earth herself has a whole other level of energy she can work with to bring that balance back to us all. And so a lot of what our initiative within the fountain for natural order for our existence is right now is that we are, we've held, we put together, we were guided to put together a unity concert in the Black Hills, which are the, is the sacred heart of the Great Sioux Nation. And we are in the process of raising funds in order to bring about the development of a management plan so that they can, within the next 10 years, we're wanting Obama to sign off on this plan so that the care of the Black Hills and their sacred sites can start to go back into their hands so they can start to, in their way of taking care of the earth, take care of the waters and the animals on the earth and start to bring that teaching of the earth back into living a reality for everyone and we'll do that by honoring the black hills and the sacred sites but through that portal through that platform we are beginning to make a voice globally that's speaking about the need for this to happen all over the world for these sacred sites to go back in into those hands of our first nation peoples of those original peoples with those original instructions um, because the earth herself is telling us what she needs in order for us to turn the tide in order for us to go down that road where the heart and the head and the body are all connected, where our heart is leading the way and not our heads disconnected from our body, as the second path was that I talked about early on in our conversation. That road is for self-destruction. What I heard in that story from you is choice. It was interesting that even though all of the, the ebb and the flow, the masculine, feminine energies are all part of this web of life and all part of the plan, there is always choice in which road do we take, which, where, which way do we go. And it's been clearly marked for us where we can 
we can actually see the destination. Often that's not the case. You're you're operating and saying, well, I don't know where this road is going to take me. And in this case, with you know the head attached to the body or the head disassociated from the body, there are two really clear outcomes. And I wanted to respond to something you had said much earlier, too, when you were, we were talking about religious polarity. And yet it, it would be of benefit for all of us to realize that at the core of each of all the different religions is the exact same thing, that people are born from oneness, uh, sameness, equality. And as I hear you talk about returning the stewardship of these sacred sites to the indigenous people who know how to care for them, who know how to energize them, I'm wondering, offering up the restoration of these sites to be maintained by the indigenous cultures, I'm curious to know what the impact might be, what the response might be out in the world, because there's this feeling of, wait, we're giving something away. We're giving something back. And it goes back to that whole idea of modern mind. And, you know, the more I have, the better I am. So I'm curious about that piece. That I'm I'm on board 100% with you. I totally agree. And I'm wondering what the response of modern mind would be to that suggestion, to that recommendation. Well, we're talking about in in many many cases those lands are already territories of some kind. Like, so what we're saying is let's create natural preserve. And those natural preserves. They're not talking about going in and taking land away from people that are that have built their home on a place or something like that. We're talking about land that's already marked and is is already set to be a natural preserve, and governments are already taking care of some of these places, but they're not really tending to it the way the land has directed it to be tended to, and they're no longer allowing our First Nation people back on their sacred sites to run their ceremonies that feed the land. Because, you know, she needs she needs feeding, too. We can't just take and take and take from a system or it will become a drought and we will see that the waters are re- are pulling back, the warming, they call it, the warming stages are all upon us. The earth is going through great changes. Polar bears don't have cold places to sit on anymore. It's melting. They're drowning. You know, it's big. Yeah, so even as it warms and the seas are rising, the actual fresh waters or the usable waters for us as humanity or all living things is, is receding from us, which we see in Cal- happening in California right now. Exactly. So if we keep looking at it like problem-solving, we will not find the solution. We must go to the podium of the bigger picture. We must listen to nature and ask her, how do we help this heal? How can we help this heal? Show us a way. So she's directing us right now that she needs these ceremonies back on the sacred site. She's directing us that when we have preservation again with the land, the way the original instruction was given, we will learn how to have a way of life that isn't about being afraid that somebody might have more than somebody else because all things will be shared and a field of reciprocity is about giving and taking and giving and taking in a balanced way so that the circle of life is always fueled. Do we want to hold on to old belief systems from that separatist world or are we willing to put them down? And we all have old stories. We all have old woundings that have generated a lot of fear. Can we put them down? Can we forgive ourselves and those that 
you know, violated us in our ways of life. Can we put those old stories down and walk into the new world and let a new way of being arrive? Can can we do that? That's the question of our time right now. You talked about the earth speaking to us about what she needs or what will it take. That question continues to come up for me as I think about the events in the world, around the world, what will it take for more and more people to awaken and what will it take for people not only to awaken, to realize that they need to step into this circle, this web, and that they get to make the choice. We are creators of the next chapter of humanity. Even though we may never see that next chapter, we may not know what the outcome is. We are creators, most of us operating on our faith that we are following that path of where the head is attached to the body. Right. And the hundredth monkey story, you know, when enough of us have reached that level of awareness, then it will just flip over. It will just evolve. That's the nature of it. So all these years, most of my life have been about waking up and my work has been about holding and catching people as they awoke. And that was my first part of the walk. And then the next part of my walk was really about learning about how to live in communities again with a spiritual intention and focus, how to bring ourselves back to a focus of all life is sacred. And then it started to move into... How do we take that action? Because the Dalai Lama said to us when we were there, prayer is very important, but now you must take your prayer and put action with it. And so we began to do that. We are still doing that. And one of the things with the Unity Concert that's been so inspiring to me is that it's bringing activists together with spiritual leaders, and that's making a movement for the earth like we haven't seen before. So it's a, a moment where collaboration is coming together with and, make, and creating more strength. So I, I want to first invite everybody to come out and to the Unity Concert. We're going to be having one the last weekend of August in the Black Hills, and you can go to theunityconcert.com, and it will. we're just starting to put updates on there about with details and things. I just wanted to make sure we saved that date on the air. That is, that's August of this year? Yes. It is August 28th, 29th, and 30th. And it's at the Elk Creek Resort? Elk Creek, in, uh-huh. In Piedmont, okay. South Dakota. And they can go to theunityconcert.com and get information. As, as things are developing, we'll keep that information happening on the web. It's a free concert, and it's camping, and people need to bring their own food and water, and we're all going to make a collaboration to stand up for the earth and do it through song and prayer. And anybody that wants to help us by donating so we can find the funds that we need to get the entertainers and the artists there, we'll have non-Native and Native artists there, we'll have spiritual leaders, and We'll have prayer and ceremony. There are no drugs and alcohol. Um, We ask that everybody enter this gate with their head bow and honoring the earth and listening to what she's showing us in this motion of unification. How would they find those or how would they find you? Well, you can go through sacredstudies.org, and I would really include you in um, investigating if some of this is, is really ringing a truth for you. We have a two-year ministerial program, 
and these are ministers of a walking prayer. And I know ministers are a word that sometimes really jars people, but it's how we minister to, how we serve to, and our ministers come from all different parts of the world and different nations of people, usually to serve those communities and in healing ways and in prayerful ways and spiritual ways, in ways that help the earth and help families and communities. May 1st is when the next class begins, so if you're interested, please um, check it out and come on and join us. It's through that, those classes and uh, that people come to help serve at the Unity Concert and other kinds of events that we help organize. Also, if you're interested in your own individual um, process of finding what your soul has come to do, we have a teaching called Stargate that will also be starting in May, and you can find more information out about it. We're getting ready right now to set up a new website for the fountain herself so we can show the different projects that we are starting to align ourselves with that are doing the very same kind of work for the earth and trying to connect and collaborate with more organizations and um, relatives out, out there that are, have been walking for the earth for many, many years and seeing how we can better serve those efforts. Does that answer your question? I think it does. Lots of great ways to get in touch with you, and I'm sure more to come. Thank you so much for being my guest today, Jyoti, and for your work in the world. I hope you'll come back and be part of this platform here at the Voice of Leadership as we do our work, too, to create a more sustainable and compassionate world. You certainly do, and it's a real privilege that we are weaving like this, and I hope we can weave a little closer in and our our, our stitches can come a little closer than every two years. <laughs> I hope so, too. Well, let's make sure that happens. <laughs> thank you, and thank you all for listening out there. If I've said anything that would offend you, please forgive me. If I've said something that maybe triggered you, take a look inside at what that trigger is all about. And if I've said something that intrigued you, then the mystery herself has found a way to weave herself into our, our discussions today. And I give great thanks for that. Thank you, Linda, for this opportunity and for all of you for listening. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jyoti. And thanks to my listeners and supporters for being part of the Voice of Leadership and supporting the leaders who are doing this great work in the world. April on the Voice of Leadership includes more from the dark underbelly of leadership, continuing a conversation about self-awareness. This just in with Rick Tamlin, talking about trust and the insecurity of security. If you go to our website, you'll find all the links to future and past programs at thevoiceofleadership.com or by visiting our studio here on Blog Talk Radio. Until next week, here's the music of Cindy Campo, Turn up the volume. Thanks again, Jyoti. Thank you. Do you feel strong? No longer bound. Found your path with both feet on the ground. Found your voice in a world of madness. Loving your light, shining your light. We're all like stones thrown into a rough sea to cause a ripple effect of harmony. The gift that whispers deep in our souls, it's a symphony of love for all the world to know.